Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Red Cup Auburn podcast. My name's Noble. As always, I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Uh, so we're just going to kind of just talk about just essentially just a continuation of last week, uh, all that happened, you know, just to kind of kick it off. We'll just jump right into it. Vanderbilt transfer safety Donovan Kaufman has announced that he's transferring to Auburn. So Wheeler, what are your kind of initial thoughts about how he'll fit in to Auburn's already kind of stacked up secondary? Yeah, I think I could definitely see him coming in and being a starter. Um, he put a lot of good film on uh, last year when he was at Vanderbilt. I think we mentioned on the last pod, just a really quick, uh, good instincts um, guy at safety. And, I, you know, it's always one thing for pundits and for writers and stuff to talk about how good a guy is and stuff. But and this is going to sound mean a little bit. Well, not mean, but. You can also tell by what players transfer, you know, um, and literally right after Kaufman commits to Auburn, Marco Domeo, uh hits the transfer portal. Um, a solid player for Auburn, struggled a little bit with injuries, um, and I think he's going to end up being a pretty solid college football player. Um, he transferred down to UCF. Obviously, he had the relationship with Gus. Um, that seems to be where a lot of Auburn transfers are going. Um, so best of luck to him, but it definitely showed me that even though Kaufman was at Vanderbilt last year, he is a SEC caliber safety at every school and that people, other people who are SEC caliber players, um, are like, you know what, I'm probably not going to beat this guy out, um, in a loaded backfield. So I could definitely see him maybe not starting game one, uh, but perhaps, I mean, because he's going to have the Derek Mason defense probably pretty much down. I know that Mason came out and said that he's not going to run the exact same defense that he was running at Vandy um, solely because he has different athletes. But he should be able to pick up uh, terminology and defense pretty fast, and I expect to see him make a bunch of plays for Auburn this year. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think that uh, he'll definitely have a better chance of kind of earning into a starting spot maybe a little later in the season due to Chris Thompson transferring, who was kind of the guy who everyone thought was going to be the starter this year, transferred to USC about two weeks ago. So I definitely think that Kaufman can kind of there, – there's definitely an opening now, so there's a lot more a lot more opportunity. But another thing – and this is one of the things that I'm most excited about Kaufman – is his kickoff return ability. You know, he returned he returned kickoffs for Vanderbilt this year. And I remember I was watching the uh, Vanderbilt LSU game, and he had a 58-yard return, you know, set Vanderbilt up, got him some, some momentum. But, you know, it's Vanderbilt. They blew it. They didn't score. But 
I thought he did a good job, and I think that that's that's kind of a it's kind of the thing that I think that Auburn has lacked for a long time. I mean, really, ever since I would say 2013, we haven't had consistent kick returns, punt returns, stuff that do well. So I definitely hope that Kaufman can kind of grow into that that spot because you know, I mean, even even when you had Noah Igbenogany, you know, he took a couple to the house, but I mean. And I mean this in the nicest way possible. His vision was horrible. He ran in a straight line every time. And sometimes he would just run straight and it would score. But I felt like so many times he would catch the ball and just run straight. And a lot of the time he got like to the 25. And that's like, that's, I mean, that's the same as get, taking a touchback. But he just kind of would run straight and just try and outrun everybody. So I definitely think that Kaufman is more of a seasoned return guy that he can kind of see how the field is going to develop a little bit more. Yeah, I think the last really good return guy Auburn had was uh, Trey Mason. I think all four years that he was in school, Trey Mason was an excellent kickoff return guy. Um, and I think didn't on Johnson have some kickoff returns? He was a pretty good kickoff return guy. Um I don't know. I do. I think that kickoff returns have definitely been kind of an area of weakness for Auburn. Um, that and punt return. We've had solid guys. I feel like they don't drop the ball necessarily. Um, and I don't know. I see in tank on kickoff returns. He just didn't seem to be quite as dynamic on kickoff returns as some other guys. I think he is a really good running back, but he's not exactly that kickoff speed, you know, that you want. Mm-hmm. Um because he can definitely run somebody over. Um, but, yeah, I think you this Kaufman guy will be an angle uh, breaker when he gets on the kickoffs and potentially punts. Did he do punts at Vanderbilt too? Uh, I think he did some. I think they kind of filtered out people. but Because who Auburn had somebody weird at A-Day returning punts, wasn't it? It was somebody like – was it Smoke? I can't remember who it was. I'll have it to go wasn't back and smooth, watch but it. it was somebody that I was not expecting. It wasn't any of the receivers. Or it was an odd thing. Was it uh, was, uh, Tennyson? Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. So I could that, see that's a, ended up returning punts at Auburn, too, if he doesn't have fumbleitis. Yeah, that was always Christian Tut's problem, I felt like, was that he could – and a lot of the time Auburn has wanted guys that just catch the ball. You know, like if you catch the ball and you don't muff any punts, they're happy. You know, obviously Christian Tut had that muff in the swamp that led to a touchdown, but it was, you know, whatever. But I do think that it's kind of a – it's a position that we really haven't seen consistently a really good return guy. And, you know, Tank had that return against Ole Miss, that bogus call that got called back. But I think that, honestly, I think that Tank being out there this year was just like he's our best player we want him to have the ball as much as humanly possible. So hopefully that Kaufman is more of a return guy that can fit that position better than Tank did. And that we don't have to put our basically our entire offense exactly. out on our kick return because that's just I'm, – I'm all in favor for putting really good players on your kickoff return and making it an impact play. But when he is legitimately your only hope on offense, it's not really worth it. Exactly. And then you see, you saw that with Alabama this year against Tennessee. I mean, with Jalen Waddle getting that injury, and obviously it didn't really affect them that much because they just are that good. But it's like, if you looked at Auburn, if Auburn had a guy like Jalen Waddle playing and he broke his ankle on a punt return, like I feel like Auburn fans would be really unhappy because it's like, well, our best offensive weapon 
is out for all this time because he was on punt return when the – I mean, if you get – if you score three or four times on special teams, I mean, that's fairly successful, you know? Yes. So it's kind of like just having your elite players out there is very risky. So that's just something that I think will definitely be able to have a sigh of relief not having to see Tank out there every single time. Uh, but kind of switching to the basketball arena, you know, you have Auburn's really two biggest targets this past week were Katie Johnson and Scoot Henderson. Uh, Katie committed the other day. You know, we kind of talked about him last week on the pod, but how do you think he'll fit in? Do you think we'll see him in a starting role at the beginning of the season? Do you think he'll kind of be worked into that? How do you think that KD's role will fit in with uh, all of the new faces in the backcourt? Yeah, KD was definitely a solid player for uh, Georgia last season. I think he averaged somewhere in the range of like 13 points. Is that right? 14, um, yeah. So, that I mean, that is definitely a solid starter. Um, and I think – I don't know that Bruce knows exactly what who's going to be starting quite yet. I think it's going to all depend on what the rotations are that he wants to do and what kind of offense he wants to run. Um, it's kind of like when Auburn had uh, Austin Wiley. It almost felt like we had two different teams. We had the team and the offense that we ran when Austin was on the floor, and that'll be – I'm imagining it'll probably be about the same with Kessler. Um, and then the team that you run without Kessler on the floor. Um, mm-hmm. So I could see him trying to keep him on the bench and be kind of a six-man. Um, I think he was a little bit more efficient than Malik Dunbar, but a similar type of role that Bruce liked of having you know, a really solid guy that could probably start and may, you know, depending on injuries and, you know, who's in the doghouse and stuff, may get a couple starts. But I think starting off the season, coming in as a transfer, I would expect to see him come off the bench, but get solid minutes. Um, Very similar to the Malik Dunbar time range, I would say. Yeah, I definitely think that he – he fits a little bit of the mold of like what Samir Dowdy was. I think kind of when it was Samir and Malik, pretty much, you know, small forward one, small forward two, but it was they Samir were pretty much his the same. First year, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. But when Malik was still there, the final four year, you know, both of them kind of played the same amount. They were both guys that could space the floor, um, but I do think it'll be interesting to see how all of the guards fit in. Because, you know, you've got Desi Sills and KD Johnson that are both, you know, really talented shooters. You've got Wendell Green, who is out of the four transfer guards. He's probably the best facilitator. You've got uh, Zepp Jasper, explosive guy. So I think you've got four guards that all play a similar but very different style of basketball. And I do think that it'll kind of affect, like, how we play. So if you've got Kessler and – Jalen Williams and Jabari Smith all on the floor at the same time, you would probably want more so uh, KD Johnson and Desi Sills as the back guys because they can, you know, kind of just back up, stay at the three-point line and have the bigs kind of kick it out to them, kind of space the floor a little bit, you know. I mean, Zepp Jasper shot 40% from three his freshman year and shot 35% uh, in his most recent season that he played. So, you know, he's he's a good shooter. I'm not saying that, but I think that Sills and KD are both going to be better shooters. So I definitely think that that'll just be something to kind of sift through when you're looking through all the different potential lineups that Auburn could roll out this season. 
I think it also depends a lot on the development of Devin Cambridge because I thought this year he was at times a little bit more consistent than his uh, previous year. I think his defense especially, he was able to not be such a liability on defense. Um, But he still just had long stretches where he was just not what you wanted out of a starter. Um, And he was obviously – he was working hard and kept a good attitude. And I know that Bruce wanted to reward that. Um, But it's kind of – getting to the point now where I think it's going to be make or break. I don't think that the talent on this Auburn roster is going to be that, that if Devin Cambridge is still super inconsistent, that he's going to see a lot of minutes. Um, And I feel bad for him. I really hope that he's able to become more consistent um, as he's a guy that's been at Auburn. He's stuck with Auburn. Um, But you remember, I mean, two years ago, he went off in like three games Mm -hmm. this year. He went off a couple times, but he, he had a lot of issues on the offensive end. Um, but Alan Flanagan, you know, from year one to year two was able to improve a significant amount. And so you never know what, you know, Devin will be able to do, especially with a full off season. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, Alan, he improved a lot, but the th- you, you have to remember Devin, you know, when COVID hits, is probably going and playing pickup basketball with his buddies. whereas Allen, if he's playing pickup basketball, his dad is the coach. And so it's like he was in quarantine with his parents, you know? So he's got a college basketball coach sitting there. They have nothing to do. So, yeah, he probably improved more than the average college basketball player that didn't have a normal offseason. Whereas this year you're going to have a completely normal offseason that I think will help improve players that needed that development. Yeah, I agree. And another thing that you saw with Devin was kind of like – when Sharif came back, you saw a completely new Devin because, like, before Sharif was there, it was like, you know, Devin just kind of stood at the three-point line and shot threes the whole time. That was all he did. But when Sharif came, you know, he was cutting to the basket, trying to get lobs and all that, and you saw a significant increase in his amount of points. And then when Sharif went back, went to shooting a lot of threes, and it kind of, you know, fell, fell apart a little bit. But I think that that's something that, our guards, especially Wendell Green, I think that that's going to be, and really Zepp Jasper too, it's going to be a big adjustment for him because athletically, the players that are playing in the SEC are going to be more athletic than the players playing at Eastern Kentucky and College of Charleston. So I feel like it's kind of everyone on the floor is going to be able to catch a lob. You know, everyone on the floor for the most part is going to be able to see what they need to do, cut to the basket, make a lob. And so Desi Sills and Katie Johnson, they've kind of been – they've played in that before. They know how SEC basketball is. They know the speed and all that. So I think that that's something that was an integral part of Auburn's offense last year that I think will be interesting to see. Like, obviously it won't be as much of a part, but I think that it'll still be interesting to, like, kind of monitor how often the lob is a, you know, go-to move for us this season. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely think that that'll affect how Devin – fits into this team I agree I'm interested to see with having so many big guys and on the floor if they're still going to try and clear you know because for a lob to happen you really need somebody to clear out um and have space for a big cut um unless you just draw everybody to one side of the floor to cover your big guy well yeah and another thing about that is to see how Kessler adapts to like how we play 
Because, you know, everyone, you know, in high school, he shot threes fairly regularly. All that good stuff was like, oh, he's a stretch big. I mean, at UNC, he shot like 11 threes like on the season, like the whole time. So, you know, he was much more of a – he was much more of an inside presence. And so I'm, I'm interested to see when he gets to Auburn, you know, Bruce is always like, you know, green light to all these people that can somewhat consistently make threes. And so well, I think it'll be – for his minutes is, a, I would say, a high clip for a big guy. Well, yeah, but it was like in the games that he – in the games that he played a lot of minutes, he kind of was staying in the paint because yeah. – well, and also, but, you know, Roy Williams has never really liked shooting threes, you know? I mean, no. he's always been on a get two, get two, get two, and especially not from his bigs. I mean, he's like the guards shoot threes, the bigs get layups and dunks. That's kind of how he, you know, just coached basketball. And Bruce is a lot different. So I definitely think it'll be interesting – because, I mean, we know Jalen Williams. We know how he's going to play. We know he's going to shoot threes. Jabari Smith has a good – I mean, he'll be like – the amount of threes that JT shot, I think Jabari will be around that around that clip. So, I think that that'll be an interesting thing because if Kessler is fine with shooting threes, then that'll open up the paint a lot more. But if not, it'll be similar to how, like you said, when Austin's there, Austin's going to stand in the paint, come out to set screens, then go straight back into the paint. So, I definitely think seeing how – confident Kessler is with his three will definitely impact the style that Auburn plays this year. Yeah. Uh, so, and then the basketball scholarship situation, as of right now, uh, there's still one scholarship left. Obviously JT Thor has not announced whether he's coming or going um, from everything I've heard Bruce say, it sounds like Bruce thinks he's gone, but it's one of those things of like, well, it's always here if you want it until July 1st when you have to make a decision. Um, and then I would expect us to pick up, you know, maybe a grad transfer that has one year left or maybe, you know, a guy on the on the bench gets a one-year scholarship. Um, that way you just fill up all your scholarships because I don't think Bruce would just leave a scholarship hanging. No, I definitely don't think he would. So I think that's something to monitor. And honestly, I've heard a lot. I mean, I've not heard a whole lot about people talking about JT Thor. And I don't really know if that is meaning that he's just not really saying anything or it's because it's like he's not coming back and that's kind of just how he is. So I definitely think that that'll be, that'll be something to monitor throughout the summer. But I definitely think that that would really help Auburn, especially on the defensive end, if he came back to this team. And it would create some big-time matchup problems when you've got him and Jabari and Jalen and Kessler, you know, all able to come in. If JT comes back, I would expect Auburn to be ranked preseason top 10. Yes, I agree with that. Um, and as it stands now, I still think we're probably top 20, maybe a little bit better. I'm thinking 15 to 18, really. I could see that. I could definitely see that. Uh, but that kind of – and then we we'll, we can talk just real quick. You know, Scoot Henderson goes to the G League, $1 million contract. I mean, I can't say I blame him. I mean, Auburn, it, it doesn't matter who you are. Like, if someone's offering you a million dollars to play basketball, it's kind of like, well, I'm going to go there and I don't have to do school. So, I think that's kind of a no-brainer. I think that the G League is kind of just – rearing its ugly head, getting all these recruits, but we've talked about that before. But that was just something, you know, big-time Auburn target. Another one goes to the G League, but 
Uh, if you don't have anything to say about that, we can kind of move on to another transfer that Auburn landed and Marcus Harris from Kansas. Uh, in football. Yes, in football. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, he a was Kansas guy. You know, it could be confusing. Yeah. Basketball. Exactly. Uh, according to Keith, apparently Keith Niebuhr said that he spoke to his trainer and he is now up to 6'3", 288 pounds, as opposed to the previously reported 6'2", 280 that he played last year. So I think he's gotten a little bigger, which is good because he looks to play in the uh, nose tackle spot in the Derek Mason defense and go along with Tony Fair and Marquise Burks for the most part. So, Wheeler, how do you think that uh, Harris will fit into Auburn's defensive line room? Oh, I was super excited when I saw this pickup. Um, I was high on him ever since I saw uh, Auburn was in on him. He did a great job at Kansas. He was very efficient, picked up a lot of tackles for loss um, on a team that doesn't get a lot of tackles for loss. Um, well, they don't tackle a lot for loss. They get tackled for a loss a lot. Um, so, no, I think I really – I like both of the transfers that we've talked about tonight so far for football. I think we're really good football players that were on really bad football teams. Um, And I think that that's kind of what you want because those are the guys that were underrated out of high school, showed that they could play. um, And so they're going to be, you know, a little bit hungrier to show what they can do. They're not going to be – like one of the, you know, we talked last episode um, about the recruiting classes that Auburn's been bringing in that are full of four and five stars um, that just don't pan out, you know, for whatever reason, they end up at some small school. Um, whereas these guys, you know, are clearly showing out when they're on the field um, and they're getting up to a better school. Um, so I think that's always a good thing. Uh, they both come from power five schools, both played against the same exact, you know, type of opponents. I mean, Kansas, while not in the SEC, Big 12 players, not that much different than SEC players, in my opinion. Um, and then same, I mean, the guy from Bandy obviously played against the exact same talent that he'll be playing against at Auburn. Um, so, no, both guys that were able to ball out last year. Um, and I think that's the best kind of transfer. You know, it's not somebody – coming down from a big-time program because they were, you know, it didn't work out there and they weren't able to win the starting job, but they're also not from – I mean, I don't I don't want to yeah. say a school because I'm sure we'll have a guy come in from another small school that I'll be excited about. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they're not coming from just out of absolute left field, but they are coming from programs that they were underestimated coming out of high school – Otherwise, they would have been in a program like Auburn. But you go to Kansas and you go to Vandy because you're evaluated as somewhere in between the Louisiana Monroe's and the Georgia, Auburn, Florida. Um, And so to go and ball out there tells me that they're going to be pretty good here at Auburn. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm I'm excited about this pickup. And I think that it's also, you know, for those that don't know – uh, Marcus is from Montgomery, Alabama, went to Park Crossing, which is less than an hour away from Auburn. So I definitely think that it's kind of a, you know, he went to Kansas because it was the best, it was the, the best school that offered him. It was, you know, power five football, going to play in the Big 12. 
plays well there. And then Auburn's like, hey, you know, when he enters the transfer portal, because he's like, I played well, I can go closer to home. When Auburn offers, the fact that he comes to Auburn, I think that he'll also have that kind of chip on his shoulder where he was like, the old staff didn't want me. You know, like I was in the old staff's backyard and they didn't want me. They knew who I was. They didn't want me. But these new guys come in and they offer me a scholarship. They want me to play on their team. So I think that he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder just to kind of prove to, because, you know, prove to one, the fans, I mean, the Auburn fans that are wondering who this guy is. He wants to prove to his friends and his family, all the people that watch him in high school about like how good he is. He can play at Auburn and just all that kind of stuff. So I definitely am excited about this guy. I think he's going to have a good mentality uh, to add to the defensive line room, especially with the Jeremiah Wright uh, tearing his ACL earlier in the spring. I definitely think that we needed some defensive linemen picked up too in the past two weeks. I'm excited about both those guys. It's odd to me that we're targeting so many defensive players when I feel like the defense is already the strength and I feel like the defense is getting stronger. And I know we're about to talk about an offensive transfer, but he's not. I mean, we can go ahead and say, I mean, we're about to talk about uh, Finley from LSU. Um, Like I said on the last episode, I think he's going to come to Auburn and I think he's going to be the backup quarterback. But it's interesting to me that, I mean, the side of the ball, that everybody's concerned about um, is not where we're going in the transfer yeah, portal. Exactly. Especially uh, the wide receiver position, offensive line. You know, at first I was really concerned about the offensive line and a day kind of showed me that they looked a little bit better. Um, sometimes I think having a cohesive unit is almost as good as having a little bit more talent. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a delicate – I mean, obviously, you want the most talented people to be the most cohesive. But I think that offensive line, unlike any other position, playing together, being together for several years, you can play above your talent level because it's the most, like, team-oriented thing where it's really about communication even more than talent. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, and I think that it's – you know, obviously, you know, if you have a bunch of five stars on the offensive line, like, yeah, that's great. Like, you want you want talented guys there. But if you have guys that are a little bit more talented, but they're not playing together, they don't have the chemistry, they're not going to be able to know, like, on what what kind of defensive formations do you need to point this guy out? What kind of defensive formations? Are, what's going through everyone's mind? You know, all that. That's something that you have to have a cohesive unit for. And that's, you know, kind of what you were saying. And that was honestly, I felt like the problem with the Auburn offensive line last year was not necessarily like when they were straight up with a guy just getting destroyed other than the Alabama game. There were a couple guys that got absolutely kicked in the teeth. But I would say most of the time when Bo Nix is scrambling or something, it was just a bust on the offensive line. Like somebody didn't pick up somebody or they were bringing the blitz and the running back didn't know who to pick up because he didn't know who the offensive line wasn't going to block. It looked like a communication thing way more than a talent thing to me. Well, yeah, and I remember, again. I think it was against Georgia. It was one play in in particular. I know it was Ojolari and another guy. They switched, and I think it was – I can't – I think it may have been Alec Jackson, maybe. I don't know. It was one of the offensive linemen, and they were lost. And they were like – 
moving their head both ways, and both guys went through. I mean, it was like on the blind side. Remember that scene when he's sitting there, they switch, and then they both just go through, and then Bo just got absolutely destroyed on it. And it was stuff like that, and it's like that's something that, you know, with a year of all playing together under their belt, they'll have a full spring. Hopefully that that kind of stuff won't happen, you know? Like if someone just gets blown up, like obviously you don't want it, but like, you know, it, it's better than just not knowing what's going on and not being able to pick up the blitz. So hopefully and they'll kind of alleviate those problems. The guys that we have are not, you know, super highly rated, but it's also not like we have the – you know, the wimpiest looking offensive line in the SEC. Like, I would say they look like an average SEC offensive line. Like, just yeah, size, size is not athleticism the wise, there's nothing special about them. But I mean, they're not like Texas AM that have the nickname the Goons. Mm-hmm. But like, I didn't think that talent wise, they were just vastly under everybody else in the SEC teams that are winning football games. Yeah, I totally agree. You're going to look at – if you look at an SEC offensive line, like Auburn fits that mold. Like you're not just going to watch Auburn play and be like, oh, I know why they're bad because they have people that are 250 pounds playing like offensive line. That's not what's – like the size is is not the problem. Uh, But, you know, you kind of mentioned it. Let's go ahead and just segue into uh, TJ Finley uh, announces Monday at 11 a.m., uh, Auburn, Houston, Penn State, and Alabama are reportedly the top four. I don't understand Alabama at all because it's like you're going to get buried in the depth chart and the guy that's there has more years of eligibility than you do. So it's kind of like I, I don't really understand that. I don't think that Alabama is really – I don't think that he goes to Alabama. I would be absolutely shocked if he did. Uh, I think that Auburn, his mindset is he thinks he's going to beat out Bo Nix. You know, if he does beat out Bo Nix, you know, all the power to him. I'll be rooting for him. I don't see it happening. Wheeler doesn't see it happening. Anyone I've talked to that really follows Auburn super closely doesn't see it happening. Uh, But, you know, you never know. You look at Houston and Penn State, it's more of like he has a better chance of starting there. But I think he wants to stay in the uh, SEC, and I think that ultimately he will pick Auburn uh, tomorrow, and we'll see how he fits in. Yeah, Bama online – uh, was reporting that he's not coming to Alabama. Everything I've read said he's a strong Auburn lean. Um, and, yeah, I gave my opinion that I think he'll be the backup. But like you said, if he's a starter, I think that's great news for Auburn um, because I don't think we'd be getting the last year, T.J. Finley, because I don't think last year T.J. Finley's beating out Bo Nix. Um, I don't think that Bo Nix was honestly that bad. And so if somebody's beating him out, then they're pretty good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm always – I'm always glad when you already have a good guy and you bring in somebody else, and if they end up winning the job, then I'm going to be super excited to see what he can do because I didn't think that, you know, Bo was especially bad, and I thought he had a pretty good showing at A-Day. I totally agree. So we'll see how that works out, but both of us definitely think uh, Auburn will be landing T.J. Finley tomorrow. Uh, And that kind of ends our recruiting discussion. Just real quick. Uh, Let's go into some baseball. I think this is one of the first times we've talked about baseball on the podcast. Uh, For those that don't know, Auburn started the season horribly. I mean, almost as bad as you possibly could uh, in conference play. They've kind of picked it up. They've won, I believe, three of the last four uh, SEC series. 
including winning two of the last three against Missouri. Uh, earned a spot in the SEC tournament. Auburn will be playing Ole Miss Tuesday night. Wheeler, how are you kind of thinking uh, – what, what, were, what were your thoughts about like, the end of the season for baseball and how the chances are for the SEC tournament? So it was really unfortunate. I don't know if people were able to watch the baseball game on Thursday. Uh, Stephen Williams got hit by a curveball in the face. So he's out for the SEC tournament. Um, so thoughts and prayers are with him as he's getting all of that checked out. Um, Auburn got a little bit of a tough draw. Um, I think it could have been worse, honestly, in the first round. So the way the SEC baseball tournament works is if you play in the first round, it's a single elimination game. If you make it to the second round, then the tournament becomes a double elimination. And so you'll, if you win, you go to the winner's bracket. And if you lose, you go to the loser's bracket um, until you lose two games. Uh, so the way that the bracket kind of works out is if Auburn wins on Tuesday night, I think first pitch is at eight o'clock in Hoover. Um, that'd be a, I mean, that'd be a pretty impressive win being able to beat Ole Miss. They've been solid all year. Um, they're a five seed. Uh, if they're able to win that game, then they run into a buzzsaw and Kumar Rocker and Vandy if they choose to throw their uh, Friday starter, which mm, I don't know if I, I was playing Auburn. Will. I probably wouldn't throw him. Um, so I think best case scenario for Auburn is get a dub Tuesday, take the L on Wednesday. Honestly, if I'm Auburn, I don't even know that I'm throwing my, you know, I may just yeah. take the take the L. Um, and then, you know, that's when it gets interesting. It After that point, you really never know. So the loser of the Vanderbilt game would, uh, let's see, where would they play? Loser of game eight, they would play the loser of game seven, which is going to be. Uh, whoever loses, most likely, whoever loses to Arkansas. So it could be Georgia or LSU. Um, I don't think either of those teams are going to beat Arkansas. So theoretically, you beat Ole Miss, lose to Vandy. You're probably going to play Georgia or LSU. You could easily get a win off of that. Um, and then you basically have one game to see if you can make it to a Super Regional. Um, so I think if we get three wins in the SEC baseball tournament, that gets us to a number that the committee will at least look at us. Um, and for those who haven't followed this team closely, the reason that a lot of people are optimistic that they'll make a super regional, um, even with a very low number of wins, is they lost, what was it, like 11 or 12 games that they lost by like one run. Mm -hmm. So they honestly, all the whole beginning of the season, they would do great. They would had the lead they'd take it into the ninth inning and then they'd blow it in the ninth um and that was just the story or blow it in the eighth and then the ninth um that was the story of the whole season and then finally here at the end they were able to get it under control um butch changed his pitching rotation a little bit and he put uh green hill back as a closer um swilling started throwing a little bit more consistently um and that really was able to help Auburn get some wins towards the end of the season. Um, so they've been hot as of late. Um, they were always competitive in games. I think Mississippi State was really one of the only teams that 
Auburn just really didn't have a competitive series with. Um, and I mean, that happens in baseball, you know, I mean, even teams that are going to be hosting super regionals may have gotten swept at some point in the season because you just have a bad weekend and the other team's hot. Um, baseball's weird like that. It's not, I feel like basketball and football, you don't just like have off days as much. I mean, you do have off days, but like in baseball, it, the, the line between winning a game 3-0 and losing a game 12-3 is very small. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, when you look at, I mean, you look, yeah, I mean, you look at, uh, you look at Vanderbilt. I mean, they've had some games where they, you know, lost big, but some it's like, you know, in baseball, it's such a, such a crazy sport like that. You can have, you can be a national championship winning team and have lost a game by six or seven runs. And it's like, that's not super uncommon. It's just how baseball works. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just to kind of build on what you were saying, you know, we're playing Ole Miss first round. Uh, they swept us in the earlier season series uh, in Oxford. First game, we lost one to zero. Second game, we lost five to six. Third game, we lost 19 to 11, which was just, I mean, both pitcher, I mean, both the pitching staff just did horrible that game. Uh, but I was, I have been talking, I talked to an Ole Miss fan today. And because, you know, they're, they're obviously you want to, play well in the SEC tournament, but if you don't, like, they're in the NCAA tournament. They've kind of established their spot. So I don't think they're going to pitch their best pitcher. They're going to pitch one of their guys that hasn't really pitched that much this season because they think they can beat us without him or with him. And if they don't, it's like, oh, well, we'll still go to the NCAA tournament. If they do, then they're going to save their top pitchers for a Vanderbilt or an Arkansas. Uh but if you look at it, I mean, yeah, Vanderbilt, we don't match up very well against them. But look at Arkansas. I mean, we lost that I mean, that, that series. We won the first game, lost the other two games by one run each. That was the series we legitimately could have swept them. You look at LSU, we were competitive in that series, but lost. Georgia beat them two to one. So I, with our side of the bracket, I like our chances looking at how the season series has gone. So I think that if Auburn – continues playing hot, beat Ole – I think if we beat Ole Miss on Tuesday, I think that it can kind of set the tone for a couple more wins, and hopefully the committee can uh, give us a look and we can sneak in. But So, and Auburn will probably throw Jack Owen on uh, Tuesday, wouldn't you expect that? Yeah, I mean, it's a short – it's a really short rest time for him, but, I mean, it's your best pitcher. I think that if he's – close to good to go, I think you send him out there and see how it goes. And if he's bad, if they're just teeing off on him, you pull him and try and soak it up. But when I think we'll Butch uh, rested the uh, reliever on uh, Saturday. I don't think he threw our best pitchers for the game. I, I don't think he was as concerned of sweeping the series, um, which was interesting because I thought that we kind of needed every win to be considered by the committee. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, it was against a subpar team. They're probably not going to look at that win as favorably as if you're able to come in, beat Ole Miss, beat potentially a Vanderbilt or an Arkansas. Exactly. And if you can win one extra game in the SEC tournament because you rested those relief guys, that win is going to be better than the Missouri win was. I mean, that's just mm -hmm. how it is. I mean, the third game of a series against the worst team in the SEC is not going to be looked on as favorably as a win in the SEC tournament. Right. So, 
that's definitely something to watch. You know, it starts on Tuesday at 8 o'clock, I believe, on SEC Network. So if you haven't watched any baseball this year, tune in. You know, you can see some some Auburn baseball and cheer them on against Ole Miss. Uh, again, you know, T.J. Finley, name to watch tomorrow, 11 o'clock. And that's pretty much it. So, you know, just kind of following all that, as always, you know, I'll keep everyone updated on uh, the Instagram page about how everything's panning out. But, Wheeler, if you're done, I think we can go ahead and end this podcast. So thank you guys, as always. You know, thank you for listening. If you have a question, feel free to DM the page and War Eagle. War Eagle.